Hello and welcome back to the Vancouver Actors Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Coleman, and with me today is uh, one of my students, Andrea. And uh, as promised, uh, we are going to do a, uh, an episode dedicated to how to break down an audition efficiently and effectively. Uh, so Andrea and I are going to use uh, a system that we affectionately refer to as the Great Opera. Uh, it's an acronym. Don't worry, there won't be any singing. Uh, or there might be, who knows. Uh, it's just a, uh, an acronym we use. I want to be clear that uh, this isn't the only way to break down a scene. Uh, and these aren't the only things you need to do uh, as an actor. But I would say if you did these 10 things, uh, consistently and religiously, it would be really hard to be bad at acting. So, uh, you know, um, hopefully this is a, an opportunity for us to break down a system that we find quite effective. And it is something, like I said, uh, if you're able to use this, it allows you to not only break down your auditions efficiently and effectively. Uh, I personally use it as an effective tool on set when I'm going through my scene work. Um, because of the system, it allows me an academic approach to take a direction and be able to apply it quickly, uh, organically, and, and, and to make adjustments that are authentic and true, um, just based on having a, a core fundamental foundation on how to break down a scene. So, uh, Andrea, uh, so this is, we're, we're just gonna take a scene, we're taking an older scene, I think we're doing When Harry Met Sally, is that right? Yep. Okay, so we're gonna take a scene from When Harry Met Sally and we're gonna break down what we would do in terms of the great opera. Um, why don't we read the scene once first through and then what we'll do is we'll go through the great opera and then let's you and I break down Harry and break down Sally in terms of how that would be done uh, in terms of an audition. So again, I want to reiterate, this isn't the only way to do it. Uh, and there's lots of great ways to get there, but this is a really effective, efficient way to break down an audition and to give you an opportunity to make sure when you walk into the room, you do the one thing that an actor has to do because an actor only has one job and that is to serve the story. To serve the story. So uh, that is it. Uh, and that wasn't even rehearsed. That was so great. Um, so uh, we're going to walk through this scene, uh, originally performed, not as well, just kidding, uh, by Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan, two absolute legends. Uh, we're just going to read it through, though, just so you get an idea of the scene. I'm going to read the uh, brief stage descriptions. Uh, interior car night, a long silence. You realize, of course, that we can never be friends. What do you mean? What I'm saying, and this is not a come on in any way, shape, or form, is that men and women can't be friends. The sex part always gets in the way. That's not true. I have a number of men friends, and there's no sex involved. No, you don't. Yes, I do. <laughs> no, you don't. Yes, I do. You only think you do. You're saying I'm having sex with these men without my knowledge? No, I'm saying they all want to have sex with you. No, they don't. They do too. No, they don't. They do too. How do you know? Because no man can be friends with a woman he finds attractive. He always wants to have sex with her. So you're saying a man can be friends with a woman he finds unattractive? No, you pretty much want to have sex with them too. What if they don't want to have sex with you? It doesn't matter. Look, the sex thing is already out there. So the friendship is ultimately doomed and that's the end of the story. Well, I guess we're not going to be friends then. I guess not. Too bad. You were the only person I knew in New York. And scene. Okay, so really quickly, this is the scene that happens very quickly off the top of the uh, of the movie. 
So uh, just to put some context, because you would have this for the audition. So Harry uh, is dating a woman named Amanda, and uh, Amanda's friend Sally is driving to New York. It's an 18-hour drive, and Harry is going to hitch along, and it's uh, this is really their first time meeting each other, so it's a really awkward conversation. Um, and uh, yeah, so this is their first introduction. They're new to each other. Their common thread is, is Amanda, who's your best friend or good yes. friend and then uh, she's my girlfriend uh, although the scene might suggest that I'm not as uh, loyal as, as one might hope uh, and um, so that's this happens very much at the beginning of the movie and this is I guess I the central question or the thematic premise of this film is can men and women just be friends or does the sex always get in the way there's a lot of different ways we could phrase this and frame it up. But so again, asking how does this scene serve the story? This is the beginning of the film. So this initially showcases the relationship at its earliest moment. And then over the course of the film, we're gonna watch it evolve and we're gonna see, can these two be friends? Or are they doomed to be lovers? Or dun dun dun, do they end up becoming both? Uh, sorry if you haven't seen it, but spoilers are only good for 30 plus years. And this came out a long time ago. So let's walk through the great opera really quickly so that we have an understanding of what we're gonna do to break this scene down. So it's a quick, simple two page scene. This is pretty common, especially in the Vancouver audition market. I mean, we're not often auditioning for the lead roles in Rob Reiner films, but let's assume that we're, we're, we're taking Rob and, and, and uh, Billy and Meg out of this and it's just a two-page scene that we're auditioning. So the great opera, um, I'll give you what the great opera is and, and a brief description and then uh, Andrea and I will break down our two respective scenes and then we'll do it again and see if it makes sense. So the great opera stands for uh, G for goal or what do I specifically want or need from my scene partner and attached to that is uh, what does it cost me uh, or, or what am I rewarded with based on that goal. So if I get what I want, what am I rewarded with? Uh, if if uh, if I don't get it, what is what am I risking? And we refer to that as our result. Yeah, our our, our result. So uh, at the end of our goal, we will either get what we want or not get what we want based on the stakes or the risk reward and the result. Uh, and this is something that makes sure, making sure we do at the end of the scene is make sure we definitively know at the end of the scene if you got your goal or not. I find this is uh, actually a really common thing as an audition coach. I find a lot of actors don't finish their scenes. So at the end of the scene, there's this ambiguous, I don't know, it can be however you want it to be. And it's like, well, I don't wanna, like I'm trying to watch your movie right now. So did you get it? Yes or no? I'd rather give a redirection than have you be ambiguous and leave me hanging. Don't leave me hanging. Assume I'm the producer or the director, because I likely am, and show me how the scene ends in your eyes. Uh, so the G is for goal, the R is for result, the E is the emotion, or how do I feel about the result? So often when we get what we want, we'll have a positive emotion, and when we don't get what we want, we'll have a negative emotion. However, it is important to note that when your character has growth, it is possible to not get what you want, but to still have positive emotions attached to it, or it's uh, possible to have the other side of that. So I might be in a, a completely separate scene where you know uh, I'm doing a scene with my mother and uh, I'm 16 and I wanna get my ears pierced or drive the car, let's drive the car. And my mother, what do I want from my scene partner? What do I want her to do, feel, or understand as my goal? Uh, I might want, yeah, I want you to let me drive the car. That'd be the scene. And at the end of it, she doesn't let me drive the car, but I might realize over the course of the scene that it's only because my mother loves me and wants to protect me and I have a feeling of being supported and loved and warm. So it is possible to have the, the opposite of what you may per perceive. So that's the G, R, the E. The A is the assertion. 
A lot of times we'll call this the moment before or uh, allowing us to set the right authentic tone so we can launch into a scene and not limp into a scene. Uh, the way we would reflect on an assertion is we use the sentence, I am character's name and the world is blank and we say it internally we don't say it out loud but we say it internally just as a means to make sure that we are authentically uh launching into the scene with the right emotional mental spiritual physical uh mindset that we need to do the scene properly so again a lot of times uh acting coaches refer to it as the moment before uh or or um different ways to get into the scene, but the assertion um, makes sure that we're launching into our scenes. Next is our tactics or our transitive verbs or our actions we do to people, and that would complete the word great, and the beginning of the next word is opera, and the O is obstacles. So obstacles are anything that prevent us from getting our goal. If you can't identify how it prevents you from getting your goal, it's not an obstacle yet. So make sure that you're able to identify specifically, yeah, but how does that prevent you from getting your goal. And again, your goal is what you want them to do or to feel or to understand. Now your tactics are how we navigate around them. And the way you identify a tactic is you identify it as a transitive verb, action you do to people. Uh, and we figure out that by saying, I blank you. Any word that fits into I blank you is something that would uh, work as a, uh, as a tactic. And that's how we do, we navigate it as we have a relentless pursuit of our goals. Um, after that is our personalization. And our personalization is reflecting on a real life experience that has a similar goal, uh, outcome, uh, relationship, environment, as many parallels as you can to the scene. If you have an experience that relates to that, then you wanna reflect on that personalization. We touched on that a little bit on the last uh, episode of this when we talked about personalizations and essence of the scene. Uh, after the personalization uh, is the uh, environment. So. A good rule of thumb for auditioning is if you don't see it, then the person watching the tape doesn't see it. So you need to make sure you physicalize everything in your room. That's uh, uh, eye lines, that's the clear and present danger, um, that's everything that would be, um, anything you do feel, smell, touch, hear, if you don't recognize it, then it, if you don't recognize it on camera, then it doesn't happen. So your environment is how does this place make you feel? Like a lot of, um, most scenes, and, and one could argue all scenes, should uh, be in an environment that is most conducive to the uh, servitude of the story. So in this scene that we have here, one of the reasons that they put this scene uh, uh, in a car is this is an 18-hour car ride with a complete stranger. So you're literally sitting inches away from somebody you do not know, and you are trapped. This scene is put in a place where you are trapped, and you are actually trapped in Meg Ryan or Sally's car. And again, that serves uh, the story in giving her a, a little bit different of a power dynamic or status. Um, but the environment, again, is how does this place make you feel? So in this place here, we would both have a feeling of being trapped uh, for 18 hours of somebody we barely know. And like an idiot, Harry starts off by hitting on her. It doesn't go well because he's dating her friend. So, oh well, we've only got 17 hours and 59 minutes left to go. I bet you this car ride's fun. Uh, after uh, our environment is our relationship, and our relationship is much more than what is the person's occupation or uh, uh, what is their specific dynamic in terms of family or friend. Like Those are all okay, but more importantly, when we ask ourselves about the relationship, it's how does that person make us feel, and what is our history with them? And this is where I would use my five-year-old's um, 
why game. So, uh, Andrew and I, maybe we can play the why game here. If you wanna, uh, I guess either one of us can play either side of it, but uh, let's just, let's invent a character for Sally. So. This is uh, this is how you would do the Y game, and this Y game works for literally every aspect of dissecting your scene. So, um, uh, your name is Sally, yeah? Yes. Uh, and you're moving to New York? Yes. Why? Because it sounds like a fun place to go to. Why? Because I'm sick of being in Nebraska. Why? Because there's nothing to do here. Why? So again, we could go on and on and on, and we can figure out, you know, uh, people pursuing big dreams of New York and all these different things, and uh, and we just go why, 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 and we find deeper and deeper layers of that. So the last um, uh, letter in the great opera is A. So we use that for age or time. There's basically three types of time in every scene. So there's the time of day, so morning, noon, night, different things like that, because. You know, certain conversations are just played differently if it's done at 11 a.m. or 3 in the morning or 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Like, are you tired? Are you refreshed? Or did you just wake up? Is this a secret? Uh, it plays differently. Are you taking your dog for a walk at 11 o'clock in the morning, like 11 a.m.? Or is it 4 o'clock in, in, in the morning, which is probably a slightly less assuring, probably a little scarier. So there's different things that time of day can affect. The other part would be uh, time in history. Is it past? present or future. So even in a scene like this, I would even argue that as much as this still feels quite new to many of us, uh, this would be in the past and we would have had different dynamics in terms of relationships and how we tell certain stories on screen. Um, you know, one could argue there's a lot of grooming in this scene from the Harry and we shouldn't celebrate it by the end of the film having them be romantically intertwined. Um, but the way we see a scene, whether it's past, present, or future, is in order to serve the story, we have to respect the lens or the paradigm of when the story is being told. So if we're doing a story from a more misogynistic or racist time in the past, we have to reflect that and we, we wouldn't have necessarily had the same movements or opportunities for growth that are, are shifting mindsets and evolving levels of empowerment. And it would be a disservice to the story if we didn't do it from the paradigm of the story. Same thing for the uh, anything that takes place in the future. While often the future reflects very much what the present looks like, we don't tell stories in the future like that. We talk about utopian or dystopian futures where the world is amazing or it's awful. Like the world's terrible and we all just need gasoline because it's the new currency. Or uh, the world is amazing and we figured out how to all get along and race and gender and all these other things don't factor anymore. We just love each other unconditionally. So we have to make sure we attend that to the story. So that's the great opera in a nutshell. So let's walk through this and figure it out. The, the important thing to note is that you don't need to go through the great opera as a G, and then the R, then the E, then the A, then the T, those sorts of things. So I might say, uh, in terms of this, when Harry met Sally, uh, what, are, what do you think Sally wants from Harry? What do you think she wants me to do, feel, or understand? Well, I think she wants him to understand that it, gender doesn't matter. You can be friends with anyone. Yeah. You want me to understand we're just going to be friends? We're like just sure. friends. Yeah, and then I think I want you to understand that because I'm a man and you're a woman, we can never just be friends. So based on there, we have conflicting ideas. Conflict is in every scene, and this gives us some pretty clear conflict. So I want you to understand we can never just be friends, and you want me to understand we're only going to ever just be friends. Great. Really simple. So the result of the scene is 
do you think you get what you want at the end? Do, uh, do you get me to understand that we're just going to be friends? Um, no. No? Because he, he still argues. You still argue that, well, I guess we can't be friends. Too bad. So how do you feel about that, remembering we've got about 17 hours and 59 minutes left in this car ride? This is going to be a really long car ride. Yeah, Damn. so great. So that's the first three letters already set up. We already know our beginning, we know our end, and now we just have to fill in the middle. I would say for me, with Harry, I want you to understand that we're never gonna be friends. Uh, do I think I get it? I actually think I do, mostly because I'm a, a narcissistic, a limited vision individual who's, uh, you know, uh, his, his, his youthful uh, enthusiasm slash misogyny doesn't make him aware that she's probably being really honest right now and uh, and she doesn't so how do i feel about it well i'll just let my charm keep working its tricks and eventually she'll fall in love with me so i would say while we both have different perceptions of how this conversation went i think that's a fair assessment again these are just choices and interpretations so the assertion i am sally at the beginning of the scene before we get on this drive before i say the ridiculously stupid statement we have a long silence so the long silence would suggest awkwardness again we've just met so your assertion is what i am sally and the world is irritating sure and i might say i am harry and the world is uh, innocent or ignorant, unaware. It's just unaware. And I would say it like that because it's just, I probably need to educate you. That's what I would say as, as Harry is my, is my assertion. Hmm. The world is just blissfully ignorant. Again, not a great. <laughs> <laughs> Not a great sign that they should be together, although it would wreck the film if they didn't. Um, so next is we go through our obstacles. So I want, let's just go through it and, and we'll say the lines and anytime we hit an obstacle, let's just call it out. So um, I, want you to, I want you to realize that we can't just be friends and you want me to realize we're just going to be friends. So anytime yeah. one of us feels we hit an obstacle, let's call it out. Okay. Uh, you realize, of course, we can never be friends. What do you mean? Uh, I'm, uh, I would say that's my first obstacle and arguably you could even hit me on my first sentence as an obstacle. Yeah. When I say you realize that we can never be friends, the fact that you say, what do you mean? Ah, see, I told you my assertion, blissfully ignorant, doesn't even realize what I'm saying. It's almost like she doesn't realize she's a woman and I'm a man. So we're clearly going to be romantic. So right out the gate, the first, she, she reassures my assertion that she is blissfully ignorant to the idea, did you not even know we were different genders? And again, uh, we'll save our commentary for the content of the scene. That's just, we didn't write it. Um, so what I'm saying is, and this is not a come on in any way, shape or form, is that men and women can't be friends. The sex part always gets in the way. Do you see any obstacles there? Oh, absolutely. So. I, I would say anytime somebody says, and this is not a blank in any way, uh, and this is not me being racist in any way, this is not a come on in any way, this is not being sexist in any way, they're about to be the thing that they're not doing. So we all know that. Uh, so that would, that anything else in there jump out at you? Oh, well, uh, um, automatically when he says men and women can't be friends. Yeah, so it's, he just says it right on the nose. And then your response is? That's not true. I have a number of men friends and there's no sex involved. So I would say the obstacle is she's in denial. She's not even aware that all her friends want to have sex with her. So again, she's blissfully ignorant as I had stated in my assertion. Uh, and then I say, 
No, you don't. So, a clear obstacle? Absolutely. Because I'm telling you, you don't even know your own mind. Yep. And then your incredibly mature response is? Yes, I do. So now we're just going to go back and forth with the incredible mature, incredibly mature, no, you don't. Yes, I do. No, you don't. Yes, I do. And we do that back and forth. Uh, and then I say, to end it, you only think you do. Is that an obstacle? Absolutely. Yeah. Am I any closer to understanding we're just going to be friends? Not at all. No. And then you say? You're saying I'm having sex with these men without my knowledge. Again, uh, the obstacle here for me is she thinks that I'm suggesting she's having sex with men. I'm saying people want to have sex with you. I'm not saying you're having sex with them. I'm just saying all your men friends want to have sex. Again, blissfully ignorant. Again, consistently throughout the entire scene. No, I'm, I'm saying they all want to have sex with you. Is that uh, showing any signs that I'm understanding we're just gonna be friends? No. no, because I'm saying all men wanna have sex with you and I am a you are a man. Uh, or a reasonably hand-drawn facsimile. Uh, but yes, I am a man. And so again, it would suggest that that's not working. So we go back into another. They do not. They do too. They do not. They do too. How do you know? Great. So now I have an opportunity here where she's given me an invitation to share the wisdom I've been trying to share since the beginning of the scene because no man can be friends with a woman he finds attractive. He always wants to have sex with her. So I'm stating what I am um, claiming as a fact um, and educating. I educate you uh, is, is probably the tactic I'm doing here. And then your response is? So you're saying a man can be friends with a woman he finds unattractive. Mm. So the obstacle is, is she's now poking holes in my formula uh, and she is uh, challenging my uh, education and academic uh, uh, knowledge in this area to which I respond, no, you pretty much want to have sex with them too. Again, not suggesting that I'm getting any closer to understanding we're going to be friends. Uh, you're also most certainly not putting out signals that this is going anywhere. Uh, <laughs> Uh, what if they don't want to have sex with you? Right. Also a very logical uh, hole in the, the strategy uh, that, to which I have a clever response. Uh, doesn't matter. The sex thing is already out there. So the friendship is ultimately doomed and that's the end of the story. And that's what we already know now because I have now definitively used the facts of the scene, that's the end of the story. We know this scene's gonna come to a conclusion quite quickly now because I'm, I'm throwing in the towel. I'm saying, look, we're gonna end up falling in love or not be friends because those are really our two options. End of story. I literally say end of story to what you say. Well, I guess we're not gonna be friends then. And again, there's a, a confirmation as well. I guess not. That's too bad. You were the only person I knew in New York. Yeah, so what do you think that, so so now we both know, we both, you know, one could argue, again, either way for the Harry character, did he get what he want, yes or no? In yours, I think it's quite clear that you're not getting what you want. And what did you say you felt? Irritated. Yeah, so now let's go, so we've done the obstacles and we can go through the tactics or any of the I blank you. So I'll just really quickly, you realize of course that we can never be friends. I might say, I inform you. And then what do you say? What do you mean? And what are you doing there? I question you. Yeah. Uh, what I'm saying is, and this is not a come on in any way, shape or form, is that men and women can't be friends. The sex part always gets in the way. I educate you. To which you? 
That's not true. I have a number of men friends and there's no sex involved. I would argue you educate me. <laughs> Anyways, we could go back and forth and that's how we would navigate our tactics and our obstacles. Next is a personalization. So if I was Harry, I would say, for me, a personalization is anytime I've had dialogue with somebody who thinks they know something, but they clearly don't. Uh, I fortunately have young daughters uh, who are five and nine who think they have all the answers to the universe. I have conversations not about relationships, but about their version of facts versus mine. I once got in a half hour uh, fight with my oldest daughter on a cruise ship once because she was convinced that foxes lived at the end of rainbows in the ocean. And I mean, I'm not a terrible dad, but that was insane. And you know what? You're just wrong. <laughs> You're just wrong. <laughs> and if you want to pick that as the fight we're going to have, we're going to have that fight. But to me, that would be a great parallel where mm -hmm. I had her blissful ignorance was that, no, foxes live at the end of rainbows <laughs> in the ocean to, no, her dad thought that was crazy talk. Not unlike Harry thinks Sally's thing of men and women can be friends. No, that's insane. We're either going to be romantic or not friends. Like there's no way because the sex is already there, but that's the mindset, right? Yeah. Uh, do you have a personalization for something like this? Uh, well, I, I was going to go with the kids thing too, because as a parent, this is an, an everyday thing, no matter what your children's ages are. Mine are, yeah. mine are 18 and 23 and we still have the, no, you don't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Sure. Yeah. No matter what, you, it, it happens. So I think anyone can find a personalization with that because everyone is a child or a parent. You've got one or the other. Sure. So. It's, it's definitely an, an easy one to slip into if you look at it with that mindset. Yeah, so I think, so again, one of the things that I think was really unique is that Andrew and I took a, a classic romantic comedy and we both used our children <laughs> as our parallels, uh, which, you know, uh, is probably on one hand really weird, but also probably something really, for both of us, like, you know, we love our children to the end of time and this is a, a love story, so I think it's also okay that we found parallels or personalizations that work with other people we love. It didn't have to be a romantic interest, which is important to note, you know, like when Daniel Radcliffe was breaking down his Harry Potter stuff, he wasn't thinking at home, oh man, how, I gotta reflect on all those times I fought that wizard without a nose, like, man, it's the only way I'm gonna get into this movie, otherwise it's not gonna be authentic. Like, no, you find parallels that work and that have similar themes or relationships or goals or ideas. Um, so that's the personalization, the environment. Again, we've already stated, we're in a, it's very, like, we could have been driving from anywhere to anywhere. The writers intentionally made this an 18 hour car ride where we're both sitting in the front seat because we're trapped and we're trapped and that's gonna make this weird. And that's, and it's gonna make the tension increase. And that's a lot of reasons for this. So how does this make me feel? And I'm in your car and I'm dating your friend. Like everything about this environment is so awkward. And you know what? so what, maybe I hit on you, maybe I didn't, and I can't even tell the difference. And it's like, of course I can tell the difference. I know I did, and I know you're gonna call Amanda and tell her that I hit on you. So this car ride sucks, because I already know Amanda's gonna yell at me in 18 hours from now, and I'm gonna be in a car with the person who's gonna get me in trouble, and that sucks. So that's excellent in terms of ramping up the stakes and, 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 and adding to the environment. Also, you like you've mapped out this great thing. We're going to take turns driving, and we have this collaborative, mutually respectful thing. This has gone sideways really early. So that's our environment. Now, in terms of relationship, we've touched on it a little bit, but our relationship is really we could say, "Who are we? We're strangers." That's not enough. How do we make each other feel? I'll tell you. Well, how does she make me feel? Uh, 
clearly she makes me feel romantic or intrigued. Like I've just hit on my girlfriend's best friend a few minutes into the car ride. So the relationship is I'm interested. I know it's forbidden fruit, but I still can't control myself. I still make the, the poor decision to make an, uh, to, to put a feeler out there to see if you're interested too. So I do that, I believe in a diner or something earlier on in the film. And as we're going up to the car, you're letting me know very clearly you're not interested. And, and, and I'm trying to backpedal. I'm like, well, maybe I wasn't even hitting on you or maybe I was, who knows? <laughs> so uh, how about for you in terms of relationship, what would you say? Uh, well, um, I hate to go back to the word irritated, but that's, that's essentially from the moment that Sally sees Harry in the scene before this, which I know we don't have here, but she's irritated. Yeah. From the very beginning, the entire car ride, it's nothing but irritation. It's one thing after another. Yeah. And this is her friend's boyfriend, and he's roundabout hitting on her. That's that's irritating. And he's in her car, and yeah, okay, it's nice. I've got somebody to ride with me, but oh, this is going to be a long 18 hours with someone who is on my last nerve. It's like riding in the car with your kids. So now, this is where... This is where, so it's really easy when we look at the script and we look at the facts of the scene or anything that's written and we could say, wow, these guys should not be together. That's what these facts would scream. However, the movie is called When Harry Met Sally, not when Harry got a restraining order from Sally who felt violated, which is a very, would be a very different movie. So we also have to ask ourselves what how do we serve this story? So this is a story where these people don't necessarily click out the gate. They have some questionable beginnings. They are flawed humans. There's a lot of things that we can pick out, but we also then have to ask ourselves if we were actors auditioning for this. The movie is literally called When Harry Met Sally, and we know it's a love story about how they fall in love with each other. Like there's not really flattering words that either of us have used, <laughs> but in a romantic comedy, especially one that's set here in the 80s, that's uh, you know reflecting all the different elements it's really important to note that, no, we're gonna wanna watch these guys fall in love. So there has to be a redeeming element or there has to be a playfulness. So even here, I would go to our, no you don't, yes I do, no you don't, yes I do, or uh, they do not, they do too, they do not, do too. Like we have a couple of playful moments, but I think that also shows that we can be playful. Um, so now we go to the three moments of time. So I would say time of day, as opposed to morning, noon, or night, I would say, the, the time of day is the 18 hour car ride because I think that is more important than morning, noon or night. So for me, if I was breaking down this scene, I'd be like, this is that 18 hour car ride. I think in this case, while it's still relatively uh, relevant to many of us, I would still argue this takes place in the past. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure we would write a scene like this today. I, I don't know if we would. And, and that's probably a whole other podcast in terms of how should courtship happen, especially, you know, in, in today's world, there's just so much going on. But I would argue that we have to take it from uh, from a, a, a retrospective point of view, because the way Sally and Harry would have both performed this scene back in the early 80s would be much different, perhaps, than what we would do in the early 2020. Oh, my gosh, that's 40 years. How did that happen? Uh, yeah. So that's the time. Uh, and, and also the time in history, like I said, I might actually say this takes place in the past as opposed to the present, mm -hmm. just due to the nature of the courtship. Now I would say, what is the time in your life? So I would say for Harry, this is the time, remembering, so the time in your life, the way I would replace that most movies are just, movies are just real life with the boring bits cut out. So 
when we look at the time of your life, we want to ask ourselves, if you were like 80 or 90 years old and you're on the rocking chair talking to the grandkids and like, tell us about that time, and you're reflecting on this scene or the essence of the scene, what, how would you summarize it and what would you say? So for me as Harry, if I'm looking back on my life and saying, what was the time of my life? This is that time, Sally, the love of my life, almost missed out on the keeper. That's the time where she almost lost me. That's right, she almost lost me. I was a catch and I knew I was a catch from the beginning. Your, your grandma didn't know that we were gonna fall in love, but I always knew we'd fall in love. But that's how I would do mm -hmm. a scene like this. So I'd reflect on this is the time of my life where Sally almost missed out on the opportunity to be with her soulmate. Holy cow, you lucky old lady. <laughs> so that would be Harry's point of view, perhaps. But yeah. what would you say for yours? Um, I would say in this case, this is the time of my life where I packed up everything I owned, put a stranger in my car, and drove to the most craziest place in the world to start my life all over again. Yeah, those are all great. So again, we just need to find out different things. So you'll note that here, uh, Andrea and I haven't touched base on a lot of different character elements and there's so many other different things we could do in a breakdown. But I'll tell you right now, if you do the great opera, what is your goal? So what do you want your scene partner to do, feel, or to understand? What are you rewarded with if you get it? What do you risk losing if you don't? What does it cost you? If it doesn't cost you, then it has no value. And if it has no value, it doesn't belong in the scene. At the end of your scene, what is the result? What Did you get it? Yes or no? It's no maybe, kind of, sort of. Pick a yes, pick a no. It's better to be wrong and get a redirection than to be ambiguous and not serve the story. Then is the emotion, how did you feel about that result? Then is the assertion, I am blank, the character's name, and the world is, how do you feel about the world right now? Make sure you're emotionally launching into your scene. Our scenes don't, you know, Nobody flicked a switch and life started as soon as we started talking. We clearly had emotions, feelings, ideas going into this and, and we want to make sure that we are already authentically in the place we need to be organically and authentically uh, in order for this scene to play real. Then there's the tactics or the transitive verbs or the ways we get around the obstacles. There's basically only two different kinds of tactics. There's things we say and there's things we do. I'll also note here that, you know, there is scientific evidence that only 7% of communication is verbal, 93% is nonverbal. So I know a lot of actors still gauge a good audition or not by, did you get all your lines right? Well, if you missed a line, okay, you made one mistake on 7% of your audition. What did you do with the other 93% of the time you were reading today? So there's a lot more involved there. Um, so again, going back, there's two types of things. We, there's things we say and there's things we do. It's the same thing for obstacles. There's things we say or things we do. I guess arguably in the in the spirit of the, the types of conflict, person versus person, person versus self, person versus the universe, uh, an obstacle could technically be your environment, could also technically happen there. Uh, so after that is our personalization or finding a real life event that uh, is similar to the goals, relationships, stakes, environment here. As many um, things that you can find as possible to create the emotional connection or the relevance and then you want to reflect on that and think of that so that you know what it feels like. The environment, how does this place make you feel? Like, you know, when we do scenes of of protection or intimacy or places where we feel ownership often it's written like in our bedrooms or our family rooms or our kitchens or you know if it's where we're scared or alone it's dark and it's empty and it might be in a restaurant that closed two hours ago like the, the environment definitely factors and again if you don't see it hear it smell it taste it whatever 
then the person watching your tape doesn't either. So make sure you really uh, articulate everything you need to do with your environment. Your relationship is more than they're a doctor, they're a police officer, it's my mom. How do they make you feel? Like again, if you know, I went around a room of 20 people and just said first word that came to mind if I said mom, you know, I get everything from caring nurturer to crazy psychopath. Like it could be a million and one different things. So saying mom's not enough, how does that person make you feel? And what is your relationship to them? And lastly, again, is age or time. So the age or time, the three types of time being uh, time of day or time in history, past, present, or future. So what lens are you seeing it through? What's your paradigm here? What level of empowerment or what's your philosophies on how you see the world? And lastly, what's the time of your life? So clearly for Harry and Sally, you know, they end up together. So both of them could arguably be, this is the time in, the, in my life where I met my soulmate and didn't even realize it. So this is uh, all we're gonna cover today on The Great Opera. We have different uh, videos and other materials that are available for anybody who wants to check them out. Our idea, again, with this Vancouver Actors Podcast, we just wanna make sure that we are diversifying and strengthening our talent pool because the more we do that, the more work will come here. So uh, hopefully this is something that registers for you. We would love to hear any questions you may have. Uh, you can send them to our producer, Lydia Rimmer. It's L-Y-D-I-A-R-I-M-M-E-R at storyinstitute.ca. Uh, and she would be happy to, if you have questions about uh, what things you'd like us to cover, guests you might like us to have on, or uh, further clarification. And at the end of our podcast, we'll create a segment where we're answering some of these uh, listener or viewer mails uh, live on the spot. Well, not live, pre-recorded. Uh, we're, not, we're not crazy. Uh, so uh, yeah, if you have them, again, it's Lydia Rimmer at storyinstitute.ca. We'd love to hear from you. Don't forget to subscribe to our, uh, our podcast here. And uh, we look forward to everybody breaking legs and uh, booking lots of work. Uh, thanks for being a part of this, and we'll see you next time.